Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOSports.com and ThorMX. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And with me on the line is uh, a guy that one day, hopefully, when I grow up, I can write as good as him. Uh, that would be none other than Monster Energy's Eric Johnson. EJ, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, th- thanks for having me on, Steve. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we've done one of these before. Um, people can check it out in the archives. It's that one was a little more of uh, your history and all the things you've done, which is, is it's been gnarly. And uh, I thought this one, I just thought it'd be cool to call you and, and simply bench race because, man, from the 1980 Mid-Ohio USGP on, you've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I just uh, I just love the sport, man. And it's just to this day, I love it as much as I did when I, was, when I first discovered it when I was like eight years old, you know, and, and just... It's funny, you know, like getting a little older now and, and, and thinking, you know, I don't travel as much as I used to because I'm so busy and I don't get to quite as many as, of uh, the races as I, as I used to. But now that I've gotten a little older, you know, when I think back uh, of all the stuff I've been fortunate enough to see and all the history and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just... Uh, just feel really fortunate, and and again, you know, like I said, I just just love the sport, man. You know, just love the folklore and um, all the, you know, and another thing, Steve. You know, hopefully this doesn't sound too too cheese cheese whiz, but <laughs> I just the but so many good people in the sport. You know, I grew up all these all these guys that I grew up with as my heroes, like are all now I would consider friends. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Johnny O'Mara, I'm not kidding you. I had photos and wit ads all over my bedroom wall as a kid back in Ohio. Johnny O'Mara, I like the dude's like my best friend, and our daughters <laughs> hang out and play together. And I live like two miles from him. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. you know. And well, it's gotten to be it's gotten to be so. You guys are so tight that it's a running joke in Racer X about you know see if Eric can get Johnny O's opinion, see if he can get a hard time. You know. Uh, When's Eric doing that Johnny O piece? You know, because you guys are so tight. It's like me and Tim Ferry. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I I understand that too. We and we both, him and I, get a kick out of it, yeah. man. I probably overdo it, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's just. You know, I I I told Kenny Watson on the Pulp Show one time, and a couple maybe two months ago, three months ago, I was standing at Redbud in the announcers tower, EJ, and I'm I'm talking to Stanton and Ward. They're both up there. We're bullshitting about the track, the races, the guys out there. And I seriously had to, like, stop myself and go, I'm fucking talking to Jeff Ward and Jeff Stan right now. And we're and they're talking to me. Yeah. And, and, and so I brought this up, and Watson, of course, mocked me to no end. 
uh, for being, you know, such a such a dork or whatever. But it's true. It, it just like you said, it's we're lucky. You and I, you grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Canada, and yeah, man, we're just fans who got lucky. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, been. Like, our stories might be a little bit similar, you know, I, I was, you know, I've loved the sport my whole life, but I went to college, I played, uh, my dad had me racing carts as a kid, uh, he was a car racer, and I loved motocross, and he'd buy me YZ80, uh, YZ100, RM100, RM125, but he, he refused to let me race motocross, so that's always kind of a, you know, I feel a little bit like a kook about that, but I still rode a lot and loved it. And, and stuff like that. But what's funny is when I got out when I got out of college, I came to Los Angeles when I graduated at age twenty, and I went right at, right into advertising. Mm-hmm. And up until I met Davy Coombs in nineteen ninety three, um, you know, I had never been in the pits at a national or a supercross. Really? So oh, where okay. I'm going with this is like, you know. I came into the sport as a huge fan, and I, you know, even when I was in my twenties, and I had to go track Jeremy McGrath down for Cycle News Story, I, I'd be sitting there like shaking, you know, like because I was so intimidated all these guys because um, they were all my heroes, and especially the dudes more from my era, you know, from the from the you know early to mid to late eighties. Uh, I mean, to this day, I'm still can't quite believe they're all friends of mine, you know, right, like. Right, right. Um, hey, uh, uh, I guess first off the top of my head, um, your job at Monster Energy, uh, every time I ask you, you give me a different answer. It sounds like you have about 10 different jobs, but there, there's no, you involved, Monster is involved with so many athletes in so many sports, and you sort of are there to track them and cover them all. But like we just said, you're a motocross fan, through and through, and you write incredible features for Racer X, probably not enough of them. But my question to you would be, like, you still have the passion to write about motocross stories anymore, or is the job at Monster taking a step back a little bit, uh, and that's okay with you? Like, did you feel like you're creatively bankrupt a little bit of, of writing about motocross stories? I mean, you tell an awesome story in the first podcast about how when Davey's dad was uh, going through some health problems – um, you wrote about everything in one issue. It was, it was yeah. everything was written by you. So, you know, did, are you bankrupt a little bit in the motocross industry as far as writing features, or, or, or as a job at Monster taking it away from you, or what do you talk about that? Uh, it's, it, uh, it's well, thanks for the kind words, first off. But it, it was, it's almost fortuitous what happened. Steve is like what happened when I was lucky enough to get this job when uh, Mark Hall hired me almost four years ago. I was hired because of my my motocross background, and uh, yes, while I have been here the last four years, uh, you know, just with so many athletes and so many sports, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, I have to monitor all the, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but it was kind of like meant to be in a way. Like you know, I feel like I've gotten a little bit older now, and um, you know, I can't I can't go to the races like I used to. You mm-hmm. know, I, I you know. When I go up to the younger riders now, you know, I feel like, I, you know, they look at me like I'm their dad or their uncle or something. <laughs> right, so right. it's like, it's like, you know, the way Davey and I have it structured is, you know, um, I basically want write one major feature, uh, an issue for Racer yeah, X. Yeah. And he, Davey and I are, you know, the closest of friends. And he basically lets me pick what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, 
it's ironic that, you know, just today when I went to lunch with Bruce over at Bruce Sternstrom over at Wahoos, I ran into Christian Kibbe of the Factory Connection oh, yeah. team, yeah. who I just did a story on mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago just because I like him and he's a friend and he's done a lot in the sport. So it, it's, it actually made things better. Like, I really, in a, before I started here, I was really starting to feel kind of burnt out a mm-hmm. little bit about writing about motocross. Right. It wasn't the sport. I love the sport every bitch, bit the same you know, as I did yeah. before, but I, you know, to, you know how it is to sit down and write, to track people down, to have your uh, your questions right, all your, you know, your facts right, your data, your questions, your tape, tape recorder, make sure you have batteries in it, you know, and, <laughs> and then transcribing, you know what that's like. The worst, and, part, uh, the worst part of the job. And then yeah. writing the story and then, you know, having to go through it. And then obviously, you know, I usually turn my stories in like 3,000 words over <laughs> word count, which drives Davey and his crew out up off you know up the wall because uh, I can't help myself but uh, I don't mean that in a bad way yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it it may it makes it better because now like you know when I get my shot to do my story like the Mike Healy thing as yeah. of late or I even really enjoyed writing that story in the last issue about the motocross and nations events that we lost yeah. you know and um, so it really, you know, it sounds kind of, it sounds kind of corny, but it it makes me feel like I'm still part of the community, right, you know, right. um, and I enjoy it w- way more than I did when I had to do it right. more like, you know, rolling a rock up a hill, you know, you're right. <laughs> I go back to some of those older issues of Racer X and some of the other stuff I was doing, even in car racing and MotoGP. I mean, I was writing like sorry, four or five stories a week, you know, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, you may have noticed it in the past few years, I used to do a lot of online writing, and I, I basically don't have time to do that anymore. So right. when that, you know, when that monthly issue of Racer X comes up, um, you know, I'm, I'm rearing and, and ready to go, and, and I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I've been, a lot, I've been a part of that thing since the beginning, and uh, it's the things like a kid to me. Yeah. And, I, you know, i got to say with my job, I have to be objective, you know, like I, I work with all kinds of motocross people, not just monster people. So, yep. you know, but the, I got to be fair to everybody, but, you know, Racer X is, is, was obviously my people I work with. I was blessed to, uh, I'm allowed to keep writing these articles and I love it. I um, still love it. So sorry for the long winded answer. No, there. no. Uh, hey, it's, this is your show, bud. Um, do you find, and this is the point where I'm at. Uh, and, and again, I'm nowhere near, I'd love to be able to write like you. And one day maybe I'll get there, but I find uh, a constant, and, may, and you know, I imagine at one point you were a freelance guy, or maybe you were just always racer X. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but do you find a balance between being creative and being being um, uh, putting out your best work, and then doing so much work that you start not being creative, but you need to do it to a make money or b fulfill your assignments? Like there's a there's a delicate balance there. Yeah, I uh, I would never do it if it became work, Steve. Like, yeah. um, you know, I help Racer X out, and recently I've started helping out MCN Sport, which is a beautiful MotoGP rag, uh, magazine mm-hmm. in uh, based in the UK, and I still do a little bit of car racing writing. But, um, but if it about- ever became work, uh, there's no way in the world I would do it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm any great writer, not even close, but... Yeah. 
one thing I've always tried to do is try to use different influences and and try to incorporate that in what I do. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, most of my reading is you know I've been reading every night. My mom started me reading every night when I was like seven or eight years old, and right. to this day I read about two hours a night. And it's not about motorcycles or cars. It's you know, it's it's. I could go on and on about yeah, yeah. The, the authors and literature I like, but uh, yeah, it's a, I, what I like to do is try and find different influences and things, and try and bring that to motocross or the stories I write, and 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 I don't know, try and come at it at a different angle. And if people like it, great. If they don't, well, you know, I tried my hardest. So uh, the Mike Healy thing, uh, I've, I've I've wanted to talk to him for a while, wasn't successful. Uh, you got a hold of him. I wanted to get him on a show or a podcast. You got a hold of him and uh, uh, did a terrific article that I don't know. You know, then I followed that up maybe a month later with getting Mike on the Pulp Show, thanks to uh, Kenny. And, uh, I mean, he can talk, and he's got a hell of a story. I don't know how you even made that 2,000 words. Talk about talk about Mike Healy, your story on him, your thoughts on him, um, what you think after walking away and producing that, that epic uh, feature. Yeah, um... I knew Mike um a little bit before Mike kind of kind of spun out and you know mm-hmm. you know uh you know got sideways a little bit and he was always super cool um super nice um when uh it did time come time for him to get out uh brown dog wilson chris wilson who's good friends with uh with Mike he's also a good friend of mine he's mutual friends I went to Davey and said, look, I, I can talk to Mike, and it sounds like he's, he's willing to tell me his story. Do we want to do it? And, and Davey's like, yeah, yeah, I want you to do it. And I said, well, listen, if I do it, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything, you know. Yeah. There's some pretty gnarly stuff that's probably going to be said. And Davey's like, no, nope, I want you to do it. What we need to do this is to help Mike to let Mike get some stuff off his chest and, and, and use it, as Davey called it, a cautionary tale, mm-hmm. you know, to what can happen if you let things get out of hand. And so uh, I called Mike up. It was really easy to get a hold of him. We met at, uh, we met at a Starbucks right in Costa Mesa. Just uh, if you read the story, um, the Chevron where he gets uh, arrested with, uh, you know, about – Ten assault rifles pointed his head. Was just across the street from us, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you know, it was a it was a heavy deal. You know, I brought yeah. a whole bunch of books. I had all the research, and um, we went into it. And I said, "Listen, you know, I'm going to do this any way you want. You know, we can. You tell me how much you want, and we'll go from there." Right. And he goes, and he basically said, "EJ, he said, um, I'm not going to hide a thing back, you know, or hold a thing back," mm-hmm. and. You know, we went into it, and, um, you know, it went on. Man, Steve, we must have been there for, like, three hours, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And that, 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 that story was maybe 2,000 words, 3,000 words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I transcribed it, it was 12,000 words. Jeez. Uh, yeah. And... As a matter of fact, Jeremy McGrath came in here one day and goes, dude, I like that story so much or enjoyed reading it so much. I didn't want it to end. And I'm like, oh, yeah? You want the other 10,000 words that didn't make it? And he's like, yeah, send yeah, them yeah. to me right now. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and, I, and it was funny. Mike and I talked not too long ago. We read some, some messages on the, in the chat rooms on Vital MX, and there were, there were a bunch of, you know, there were a bunch of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like just, just, Jerk off, 
postings by some people saying, oh, the article seemed rushed and, oh, it ended quick and nothing, you know, you, they didn't hit everything and Mike didn't tell the truth. And I'm like, you know what, yeah. just you don't know what the hell you're talking about, man, you know? Yeah. We, we, we run a magazine, you know? We, we can't, you know, I could have made that thing, I could have made that story, they could have filled the whole magazine up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, the, and some of the stuff that was left, you know, as they say on the cutting room floor is, I mean, just hopefully we'll get to show, you know, hopefully we'll get to show that stuff to people yeah. one day. Because, I, you know, I think it was only like 30% of the story was told of how, you know, yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, um, you know, Mike was a little more uh, abrasive in the way some of that stuff was put into the magazine. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted it to be that way, but I think we wanted to kind of keep it a little bit more PG. Uh, but, you know, I think Mike and I hit it off pretty good, you know, like, and we we really like one another. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't shy about asking the questions. And, you know, I think he had some trust in me, too. Yeah. Because I'm not going to lie to you, you know, I've I've had a I've had an issue or two in my life with some things. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say I've had any problems with drugs or anything, but right. you know, I've I, I've struggled with something that I had to you know get addressed, and right. I know what it's like to. That certainly probably have, helped. Yeah, that probably helped yeah, coming come from you know look, looking through Mike's eyes. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, he he was pretty it, gnarly though. <laughs> yeah, he was gnarly, but you know, it, that's how he wanted to do it, and yeah. that's how I wanted him to do it. And and you know, like I said, man, like I think we all have flaws, and you know, his just his just went really deep. But I uh, I don't think that he pulled any punches. And if everybody you know had a chance to read what was left of that, uh, you know. I think they would have had even more appreciation for him. You know, yeah. do I think what he did was was cool? No, I, you know, it's awful. But I I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand what happened. I understand how it happened. I think right. you know, we both know. And Kenny mentioned this in I believe in Mike's podcast that you know these these painkillers and 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 whatnot, or these, or these, you know, pharmaceutical pills that people use, you know, it's just such a huge epidemic everywhere, you know, I have to take a medication, you know, where I go in, I have to go in every 30 days to have the doctor fill the script, because it's just so gnarly of, if you're not careful with this stuff, you know, and, and, and I think what Mike had to say, a lot of people might be able to relate to a little bit, you know, so... Um, Hopefully that's not too heavy, but no, you know, yeah. I just I just want to tell you the truth, man. I just want I, to tell everybody the truth. I'm with MC. I'm with MC. It could have been, uh, yeah. Send me the ten thousand words or put them online. Um, great story. Uh, and guys like Mike, uh, Trampus. I did a podcast with Trampus. That's one of my all time favorites. Uh, just cold call Trampus Parker, uh, Bobby Moore, um, Bader Manet. These guys just disappeared in the world of no internet, no sort of world uh, knowledge of what's going on in the GPs. It was a two-week-old cycle news report. And these guys represented the U.S. and uh, rode their asses off over there. And uh, I think all four of them or five of them, whatever it was at the time, deserve a lot of credit for going to Europe in the communist countries and with the travel and everything else. We probably don't give enough credit to these dudes. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, in one year alone, when Mike won the 125 title, or when the Tramps uh, won the 125 mm-hmm. title in 89, I mean, Healy, Parker, and, and Bob Moore were all riding on the same team, yeah. you know? Yeah, the KTM team, and a lot of those guys, like, uh, I think, again, where you and I are, you know, quite similar is I used to love reading about those 125 tracks, you know, across Europe and some of the crazy places they go to, and Mm -hmm. recently Davey sent me, um, I I had talked to Mickey Diamond about um, the races he did in Brazil back in the late Yeah, uh, yeah, mid to late 80s. He won GPs in Brazil, and I finally saw a videotape of it, and Mickey had told me about it before. Uh It looks like there's 70,000 people there. You know, I'm like, (laughs) man, alive. Like, how can people not know about this? Rodney Smith, Rodney Smith, another guy. Yeah, Rodney Smith uh, had a great GP career. Um, Yeah, Diamond told me that he he did those GPs to get picked for the Disney Nations team to show Roger, hey, check me out. He went down south there, dominated, and still didn't get picked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a tough one, you know, because the year uh, Bob Hanna got picked uh, to run at Unadilla in 87, you know, I know I think that was a little bit of a, a nostalgia deal there, mm-hmm. uh, and that should have been Mickey's spot. Um, in 86 was I, your, were your buddy Osho, but you can't begrudge. Well, Hanna won. Hanna went 1-4 for the, for the class win, and Osho, we know what Osho did in 86. So yeah. it's hard to second guess either one of those picks. Yeah, I, I fall right in the middle. You know, like I, I think Bob Hanna is the. I singularly think that Bob Hanna was the guy who changed American motocross and made it a world power. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm convinced of that. And you know, the Osho, what he did that day. I think if he took a poll around the world that day in Majora in '86, people will say that was the greatest ride in at least in modern history of motocross. So. Mm-hmm. But then I have Mickey, who I was always a huge fan of. I remember right. standing on the fence at Mount Morris and Buchanan in, like, 86, 87, when Mickey uh-huh. won those 125 titles. And uh-huh. I was a huge fan uh, of Mickey, and I still am a huge fan of Mickey. I just, like I said, I just talked to him recently, yeah. and he's just an A-plus dude and always has been. So yeah, I guess it is what it is, you know. Uh, let's switch to the Motocross Nations talk. You, you did that feature um, for teams that the motocross nations teams that have lost we haven't lost too many times i say we i don't i'm canadian but i feel american i don't we let's just say we yeah uh, we we yeah. haven't lost too many times i was on the last usa team to lose until this year 03 and we spoke about the story uh which of those races if any were you at personally um i was at brazil and um let's see i was here's a funny story steve mm-hmm. the brazilian motocross of nations yeah I was the only American journalist at that race. Really? Like, no Davey? No Davey. The, Davey was not there. I was the only one, and I was shooting photos then, too. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, like, shooting and writing for, like, Razor X and Cycle News <laughs> and all these people, and it was so funny because back then it wasn't quite as polished as it is now. So, like, I was basically, like, just working with the team out of these wooden crates, you know? And... It was just us. <laughs> and uh, it, what was also funny is uh, I had been good friends with Stefan Everett mm-hmm. uh, up to that point, and, uh, and I'm still great friends with him today. And uh, But at that race, I ended up hanging out with him and Joel Smets 
um, as much as I did uh, the American team. It was just uh, yeah. it was just a funny, strange, off the wall race, you know that. Right. You know, watching Ricky DNF, none of his fault on the on the opening laps of both motos. Like I remember the second moto when his when he crashed and had his uh, throttle cable sheared off. I just remember my heart dropping. I'm like, oh my god, I came all this way to see the world across the nations, and now we're out of it. You know, it was just, it was just. Uh, Who won that year? Italy. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a funny story too. You know, uh, Italy won, and um, there was a guy uh, who used to be a motocross writer named Enrico Borghi, B-O-R-G-H-I. Okay. Um, great guy, wrote for Moto Sprint in Italy, mm-hmm. and uh, he, uh, him, and I were good friends. And him and I ended up sitting next to one another in the press room. And after the race, you know, he came back up to me and hugged me and he was crying. He's like, really? this is the greatest day in Italian motocross history. And he had tears in his eyes. And I was really charmed by that, you know, and I'll tell you an even funny story. A year later at the Los Angeles Coliseum in 98, you know, the rainy one that Tortelli won, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I was standing in the pits by, uh, Jeremy McGrath's, uh, truck, race truck, mm-hmm. and somebody came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Eric, it's Enrico, you know, and he hugged me, and he goes, I want to introduce you to somebody, uh, you may not know him, but he just won the 125cc World Road Racing Championship, this is Valentino Rossi, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I shake this kid's hand, and he's, he's so shy that he won't even look me in the eye, you oh, know, yeah, and yeah. he's just wearing like a, a gray t-shirt and a pair of jeans, and all he wanted to do was meet Jeremy McGrath. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Funny. It, that was that's a. I like telling that story. Yeah, and that's kind of cool. Now you know. Now look at him. Right, of course. Yeah, who knew he was into moto that much back then? Oh, he still is. He is a huge Jeremy fan to this day. Oh, is he really? Oh, who knew? Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Um. So you were at the Brazil. Were you at any other ones? Uh, I was supposed to be in England, but uh, I had a family emergency and okay. was literally boarding the plane and had to go home. Uh, so, what do you, no, I was not. What do you make of the loss this year, Lomel, and uh, and where it ranks with other Team USA losses, with other defeats, uh, expected, non-expected, shocking, not shocking? What, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, good question, man. Good question. Well, kind of back up a little bit mm-hmm. um we uh monster and cbs sports net decided to air the race for the first time so uh paul Toblieb, a great friend and a producer that works closely with monster um asked me to work with uh, jeff emig and ralph shaheen um in the booth mm-hmm. and quietly uh as like I was literally in the booth with headphones on with them, but not on you know on the screen. Yeah, right. And we were watching the race live. It was so it was like two or three o'clock in the morning here mm-hmm. out at Studio City. Uh, we were down in the basement of uh, where they do TV commercials and TV shows and stuff. And they had a satellite truck outside, so we were watching the race run live. And those guys were commenting, commentating while I was passing notes to them and, and information and. You know, just just to, they wanted me to help out, spice it up with you know just history and stuff like that. And so, you know, the day before when when we struggled in the qualifying races, I called a bunch of my friends that were over there. Yep. You know, Davey and gosh, who else was over there that I spoke to? You didn't call, uh, me. You didn't call me. Thanks a lot, jerk. <laughs> 
No, like uh, Mitch Covington, who mm-hmm. works here, he was over there. Uh, uh, Gabriel Mazzarola of Alpine Stars, I was sending him texts, and I'm right. like, man, it looks like we kind of get thumped in the uh, thumped in the uh, qualifying races. We going to be okay? Yeah. And, you know, some of the guys got back to me and said, hey, we may not be win a moto, but I think we'll win it on points. And I'm thinking, like, wow, we're that far off, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I talked to Johnny about it, and I'm like, hey, they can come back and win tomorrow, right? He's like, EJ, man, they were five, lap, they were five seconds a lap off in practice. Right. I, you know, don't get your hopes up too high. Yeah. And, you know, when I watched the race, um, Yes, we could have. We could have won. Mm-hmm. We probably should have won. Mm-hmm. But by no means um, would we have won a moto. By no means would we have been dominant if we won that race. Uh, you know, watching Caroli and Hurlings uh, do what they did was was incredible. Um, you know, Ryan Dungey, you know, I, you know, I also, you know, got a lot of the backstory on it. You know, the Coster took those guys over a week early and, uh, yeah, we won there for the first time in 81, but yeah. that's when our guys were young and aggressive and not that they aren't now, but our guys just plain don't ride on that stuff anymore, you know, and it, it definitely, they uh... just did everything they could to try and sort the bikes out and, and like the guys just couldn't get a flow going and, um, you know, it just wasn't meant to be, you know, we got beat, right. you know, we got beat pretty bad, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just go on the record here and just say like, okay, I think our guys took a, took our beating well, you know, and mm-hmm. took it like, took it with grace. But some of the stuff that we heard from Europe, from a few individuals, uh, uh, themselves or, or in particular, it's almost nauseating to me, yeah. you know, like, oh, Caroli and Hurlings have changed the world. It's all over for America. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, who's better now? And we're just, we're just chuckling to ourselves, you know, like somebody said, said to me, like, you know, bring Hurlings over here at Anaheim. He'll break his femur on the warm-up lap, yeah. you know? No, yeah, and yeah, that, that, I don't mean that in a bad way. No, it, just, yeah. it just shows you, like how silly it can get sometimes going back and forth. Um, Absolutely. But, no, you're right. I, if anything, if anything, it, it, it uh, I think it's for one, it's fine to lose once in a while. It makes it all more interesting and more exciting uh, the next year. And two, I got even more respect for the team from 1981. I really do. I have oh, a lot yeah. of respect for them. Oh yeah. You I, got know, more I went back and was able to do some research and, and I watched the replay with Johnny O'Mara and, uh, you know, um, what was really interesting is I read a, um, a story, uh, I forget where I read it at, but it was, I think it was, uh, yeah, Eric Gabors, um, who noticed that when the Americans went over there in 81 because of the Supercross influence, he couldn't believe how aggressive they were and how late they braked, you know, and how they rode standing up with their elbows up and you know, those guys shocked everybody back then because, you know, everything, you know, so many things had yet to change. And uh, you're exactly right. That was kind of my takeaway. I'm like, man, you know, we've ruled the world for 30 years now. And, uh, you know, it all went back to those four young Honda guys in, in 81 at Lommel on the 250s. You know, um, 
and those weren't even our A-plus guys then, you yeah, know, because a lot of those guys yeah. stayed home, like Hannah and Howerton and some of those guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what those guys did, you know, especially seeing that Lommel track live like we did on the monitors. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there, but just seeing it on TV. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. You know, I've been yeah. to Vulcan's Word and some other tracks um, with Stefan Everts. Uh, but I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that nasty and gnarly, you yeah. know. So my hat's off to those guys that, I mean, Caroli, I mean, man, that's the guy just looked like a magician yeah. on that stuff, you know. But, hey, we just, you know, we just got beat, and uh, we got beat bad by a couple guys. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the thing, I, I did a podcast with Dave Arnold talking about that 81 team, and he was, I mean, he was – he he was there and he couldn't believe they won and they were getting laughed at when they showed up and the, the, they were in the shitty practices and they drew shitty gate picks and like he he couldn't believe it he he was like oh yeah you know, the away. other part of the myth yeah. you know no one fortunately being able to be good friends with Roger DeCoster and getting a lot of the backstory through my years you know in, in the sport is that uh, you know, on, on race day, Roger went to go get the start money they were promised. And the promoter laughed at him and said, I'm not giving you start money. Your team's a joke. Yeah. So, Roger, uh, needless to say, those opening laps when the guys in white, you know, yeah. white uh, JT clothes and bright blue helmets with skunk stripes mm-hmm. basically checked out on everyone except from on, uh, for Andre Vromans, who lived, lived there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it it just stunned the world. I I you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the biggest upset or shock in the history of motocross. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Racer X podcast brought to you by BTOSports.com and Thor MX. Thanks very much for listening. Don't forget if you're shopping for something on Amazon.com, click on the Amazon banner on Pulp MX and help out this little podcast show. Keep on keeping on. Thanks again for listening. Here's some commercials. Please listen to them. They pay the bills. They sponsor us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike car body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off. Or Smith Piston Goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at btosports.com. Championship proven. Many motocross apparel brands make that claim, but only Thor can back it up. As America's first motocross apparel brand, Thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance racewear on the market for the past 45 years. With champions like Ryan Villapoto, Blake Baggett, and Dean Wilson to name a few, our products truly are championship proven. To see all the new 2013 products, visit ThorMX.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official racewear of Supercross. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, 
The racewear is constructed with the highest grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex feel gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and have launched their all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over. Hey, what's the what's the one story that needs what's the one story you want to write? You wish you could write, you haven't written yet, uh, or you can't write for whatever reason. Um, um, what, what is it? I've been pretty fortunate, you know. The, the, I'd say the number one story that I wanted to do that I never thought would happen in a million years is that I got to do the story with uh, uh, Vladimir Kavanov. Yeah. No, that uh, uh, Gunadiyev. I'm sorry, I was his teammate, Gennady Moiseev in Russia. Right, right. Pure, pure luck. I, I, I got an email from Gabriel Mazaroloff who said, "Listen, this this woman lives next door to him in a in a flat, you know, oh. outside of St. Petersburg." Facts are the questions, and she said she'll help translate all of them, and you can talk to them. And I got that done. I didn't think that that could happen in a million years. That you know, it was it was an interview. It wasn't a story, but the fact that I tracked that guy down and 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 yeah. told it, yeah. uh, you know, that one that one's pretty special to me. Right. Um, right. And. Uh, it's it's funny, as Davey and I laugh about it. Is just the, we just keep coming up, you know, with these stories every day. You know, right, like right. man, why hasn't this story been told? Right. Why hasn't that story been told? Like I'm working on a story right now that I'm like, why hasn't anybody told this story? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to have it done in two weeks. But I think when people read it, it's you know, it, it's the kind of stories I love doing. They're yeah. just. They're a little bit, you know. You got to work for them. You got to go yeah. out there and work and find those good stories. And you got to, you know, you got to dig deep to find the good stuff. I, uh, and I love the idea of the Jeff Stanton one twenty five support race story. I forgot all about that, but it was gnarly and it was a neat story. And I'd forgotten all about it until somehow EJ was in your brain. And uh, and what a cool story that was. Just the uh, just breaking out one twenty five and, and beating all the national guys at Unadilla. Oh yeah, I mean, there's some stories that I still. There's so many stories I, I still would like to tell, and and was fortunate enough to be at the races and tell them. I mean, one of the one of the. I'm not going to go into it now, but mm-hmm. when Ron uh, Lachine won the 500 cc GP at Hollister, yeah. I was at that race, and I was just a year out of college, and I was so broke, and so far from Redondo Beach where I lived, I was like eight hours away, mm-hmm. and. I had a beat up Volkswagen Jetta and I didn't even even have enough money to buy water that I got heat stroke and uh <laughs> <laughs> drove all the way back home to LA you know in my uh, underwear pouring water you know like uh, I and you, ditch uh, water over myself you know but <laughs> but that story I love that story of how Ronnie won that race you know yeah. and it's, it's just there's a million stories we haven't even got to you know and you just there's so many things I think of like right. you know like the la- you know just so many things come up like when I was at the last motocross of nations in Europe myself uh, in Italy you know running into Danny Magoo Chandler in a you know when he's in his wheelchair and mm-hmm. 
he sees me and yells, and I go over there, and I'm like so happy to see him. And I'm like, dude, come on, you got to come over and talk to the American teams. You got to pump them up, man. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, no, I'm not going over there. I'm not going over there. I'm like, why, Danny? He's like, no, I don't feel comfortable going over there. And I was just like, yeah. you know. And he wasn't being a jerk. I just think yeah. he felt shy about it, and you know, and think you know. Fortunately, he passes away shortly yeah, thereafter. Yeah. You just, you know, you just. I don't know. I guess just been at it for so long and become close to so many of these guys, and I don't know. And I guess when I got one of those minds that just remembers these things, and there's just so many anecdotes to tell, you know, so many stories to tell, and the sport has such a wonderful history. And uh, man, there's probably 50 stories I could think of, Steve, that I want to tell. I just need to go off and. Um, Find a pen, pen and uh, pad of paper. You know, me and uh, me and Jason Wygant are uh, constantly on IM each every day, going back and forth and laughing and joking and throwing stories, ideas around and, and this and that. And, and we're both big Damon Bradshaw fans. We're, we're both younger than you are. Um, and for whatever reason, uh, I was you know that Race Rex Vault thing that has just been a godsend for me. I just love going in there oh, yeah. and looking at it. And here's the thing: what in your eyes? And you've been around a while. What is Bradshaw's legacy? A guy like me and Wygant, we don't care that he never won a major title. We we are just Ben Bradshaw fans. I I I went to, I came back from Geneva Supercross last weekend. I was talking to Mike Brown all weekend. Again, I'm talking to Mike Brown, hanging out with Mike Brown all weekend, and he yeah. told me that he didn't race Bradshaw too much, but he raced him at Muddy Creek a couple times. And, and managed to beat him and went by to gave a thumbs up and Bradshaw flipped him off with the middle finger. Just, you know, just <laughs> so angry that he, like, Mike didn't do anything, but just, you know, Bradshaw, that's just his legacy. But so never having never won a major title, he's got uh, 25 career wins somewhere around there. But he seems to be remembered as much, much more. Do you agree? Should he be? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, absolutely, man. You know, he was a he was a phenomenon. You know, like he was one of those riders. As a matter of fact, if you really want to look at it, um, and I wrote about this last night at the Coliseum Supercross in '92, mm-hmm. uh, where Stanton beat Bradshaw when Damon faltered like that, like he did. I was at that race. You know, it was it was like a it was like a, a, a strange dream when I look back <laughs> at it because right. they held it in the middle of the day because. All the liquor stores and houses around the Coliseum were burnt to the ground because of the South Central riots, you know. And so to watch all that go down and what happened, you know, was just um, was just. I mean, I'm still in awe what happened. And what's ironic is Jeremy McGrath won the Supercross in the 125 class that day. And where I'm going with this is, I think Damon Bradshaw was like such a phenomenon that. It's funny that a year later, Jeremy McGrath won his first Supercross title as a rookie. Yeah. So it, it's like Damon could have been every bit as much of an influence, but it just never worked out. You know, but and I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm certainly not taking anything away from Jeremy because he's the man. He's the Babe Ruth of the sport, in my opinion. Um, is that Bradshaw, you know, was pumped up is a superstar from the time he was like, you know, 10, 11 years old. And when he hit the pro ranks, it was just so unprecedented. And 
the, we were able to start getting more access to the sport then. You know, there wasn't the internet or anything, yeah. but you, we could we could start getting more access. Like it was starting to show up on TV, and right. you know, word was able to get out easier, and people would be able to tell stories. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to watch Damon race a lot. I watched him race in '80 at Mount Morris one year, which was awesome. But where where it all goes back to me with Damon is Denny Stevenson told me this story once. Is um, they were on '80s at Loretta Lynn's. And they were lining up on the gate, and Denny was next to him, and he looked over at Bradshaw, and he goes, man, Eric, even back then at that age, I looked at that kid, and he was like a full-on factory star at that <laughs> yeah, age yeah, on yeah. an 80, right. you know? And uh, he was just so good and so hyped, and it just, so uh, he, it just man, it just the stars didn't line up for him, you know? But, but, and, but, but his legacy is, is that of a great, rider in our sport there's no doubt and 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 he doesn't have the titles to back that up but you're with those people you you agree that he was something special oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean if there was like a charisma meter in the sport i mean good point he, yeah good good one charisma you're right yeah you know he's you know, there's guys like Bob Hanna and Rick Johnson and obviously Jeremy McGrath, and you got to put a Damon Bradshaw in there, you know? Yeah. I mean, those guys just oozed personality, and yeah. uh, the fans loved them, and, you know. and God, the stories about they, them, like from industry people and racers that dealt with them, everyone's got a story, and they're all gnarly, and they all involve him being, you know, just aggro. And I remember he told me, in a podcast that it was, uh, he knew it was time to leave when he didn't hate everybody anymore. And it always stuck with me. That's always stuck with me. Yeah. You know, one story I remember is, uh, yeah, um, is that at the, remember the Las Vegas Supercross where him and Chicken yeah. were, had been going at it all year or, right. or all season, and finally at uh, uh, the Vegas Supercross, uh, either Ch- I forget who took a who out, but it was nasty. Yeah. I think. No, I think Damon uh, took Damon took Chicken out. Okay, okay. Well, I remember that. And I remember walking back through the pits and seeing Damon sitting there with, with his shirt off and a towel on him and Roy Jansen talking to him. Uh-huh. And I later asked, <laughs> I later, you know, when I got to know D- Damon later, I was like, hey, you know, what, ha- what happened to you after that race? Like, he goes, oh, Roy was bringing my, uh, was bringing my, uh, 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 prize money over, but he also was coming over to find him. And Bradshaw <laughs> said he told me he goes he said to Roy, and I know Roy's been all, always been really close with him. He goes, Roy, just just keep the just keep the prize money because you're gonna need you're gonna need it for another fine next week. <laughs> you know? uh, that that story cracked me up. You know, it's, it's just how he was, man. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, and again, I, I um um I spoke to him about about this that race the Coliseum, but. Uh, uh, and maybe you have two recently, but um, what do you think? I mean, he he said his knee was sore. It was uh, the Rodney King riots that pushed the race a month later, so yep. his momentum had gone away. Three and from, a half months you know, later. A half month later, his his uh, his uh, momentum had gone away from the wins. He was in outdoors. His knee was sore. Pressure got to him. What do you what do you think? Yeah, no, I saw it. I saw it with my own two eyes, yeah. and I saw it very very clearly. Is what happened is you know he came out of the gate in fourth place. He was just behind Cooper, and he needed to get Cooper. This was really early in the race, but then he slowly started to drop back mm-hmm. and drop back further, and then um, and then you know you could just see him just faltering, you know, like 
like, you know, jumping off the track, you know, getting getting squirrely in certain sections, like almost losing his balance. Like, it was like you could just see that he was almost, like, petrified, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like you could see it. And what really illustrated it to me, and I've asked him about this before, is, um, you know, a lot of people might not know about this, but it, that season, you know, John Michelle Bell, who had won the championship the year before, yeah. he and Jeff Stanton really ended up at odds at one another that yeah. year. Like, yeah. I, they basically hated one another. Stories are legendary and, from that, too, for sure. Yeah, yeah and, well, there's, uh, there's a sidebar to that story, too. Uh, I'll get to it in a second. But I remember, like, that Bell disliked Stanton so much that Bell came up on Bradshaw when Bra- uh, Bradshaw was in fourth place, mm-hmm. and Bell refused to pass him. And he was riding so slow, he looked like he was idling. <laughs> and then, you yeah. know, I don't mean to make fun of Bradshaw yeah, or anything, yeah, no, but that was... just proved to me like something was really, had really gone wrong, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and eventually, with just a few laps to go, um, uh, Bale passed him. And then Jeff Emig, who was really young, and uh, uh, Bradshaw's teammate came up on him, mm-hmm. and Jeff wouldn't pass him. And Jeff was going really slow, man. And I've talked to Jeff <laughs> right, about right. it, and he's like, yeah, I mean, I know you just, it yeah. just, he froze up, you know? So he froze up. How much different is Bradshaw's career? How do you win that title? How do you want it? How much different is it? Does he get burnt out? Does he quit the year next year? Does he like how much? I think I think from from what I know of him, and especially people that know him or knew him better back at that point in time, mm-hmm. I think you know from going at it so hard as a little boy and and having it be his life and his basically his profession, you know, since he was probably you know mm-hmm. watching cartoons, um, that I down deep. And I've talked a little bit about it to him. I just think he was just super burnt out and cooked, you know, because when he left and when he did come back or however he came back, you could just kind of tell he he didn't regret it, you know. And ironically, when he did start to come uh, come around more is when I got to first got to know him a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I just I was kind of shocked at what a nice, sincere, personable guy he was, you know. I think maybe it's just all built up um, for Damon, and you know, and then when it went sideways at the Coliseum, and the year after, he was just like, "Get me out of here," right. you know. Um, that, I did a uh, I did a Pulp MX Classic commentary with JMB from Bercy. Oh yeah, we watched '91 uh, Dallas. I'll send you the link; you'll enjoy it. But in there, anyways, me and uh, Bale are talking about the race and watching it as it happens, and what happened that night, and what he thinks, and. Somehow we got on to the point of uh, not helping Kurdowski out in 1990. At oh, yeah. Creek. oh, yeah. I remember that story, too, on the 125. <laughs> yeah, he says, oh, yeah. He says I, said, I made a joke about not racing. He goes, yeah, Dave Arnold said, you know, you, if you're not helping Mike, you cannot race. And I said, uh, am I still going to get paid? And Dave said, yep. And I said, okay, you pay me not to race. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know oh, that story. Funny, funny yeah, stuff. The- you know, I don't think those two cared for one another either. Um, so let me ask. No, let me ask you this. Oh, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. But no, go, go uh, ahead. Dude. Let me ask you this: If uh, and we're bench racing here, if if JMB has the passion, sticks around in '93, does MC still win the title? Well, okay, he won it '91, right? Yeah. And then '92, uh, he lost those yeah. titles to Stanton. 
But I, I and one thing I'm very, very certain of, because I'm about to do a story on it uh, for for uh, uh, MotoGP magazine, is his mind was already set on going MotoGP racing, mm-hmm. and uh, in '93, and uh, uh, he raced for uh, Aprilia in the right. 250 class, uh, which actually I got to watch him race in '93 uh, at the at Laguna Seca when it came back. It was really cool, but. Um, you know, the guy had all the talent in the world, that's for sure. If he would have kept his nose to it, 92, 93, um, he could have very well won titles. Um, down deep, I think, Jeremy, if he wouldn't have done it, in 93, uh-huh. I think Jeremy would have done it by 94. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jeremy just redefined everything, you know. He was, you Jump, know. Yeah, he was jumping lower. He was, he was definitely, he, he had a new style. No yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, JMB is one of the greatest motocross, supercross racers, racers I've ever seen mm-hmm. easily. And, uh, you know, it just, I guess it was just meant to be. He just lost interest, wanted to try, a, you know, go to a different world. And, right. you know, Jeremy, um, Jeremy just, you know, did what he was doing. I was at that race in 93 at the Coliseum when he checked out and won, and then I went and watched him the next week at San Diego when he won, and I'm like, man, this guy's the real deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, he went like, uh, I was looking through the vault or watching on video, he went like 5, 3, Two one 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 one. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, he went five three one. I okay, think the yeah. opener was at Orlando. Yeah, and then the second round was at Dallas, and, just, and then there at Anaheim, you know, I I can still see it now. I can still see him just flying away out front, yeah. um, in front of everybody. And then, like I said, when I went to the San Diego race, I think it was the very next next Saturday night. Uh, there was no beating him there. And then I remember uh, one thing that was pretty funny is, like, everybody's like, oh, it'll all change at Daytona. He's going to falter at Daytona, and then he's then he's, then everybody's going to catch up to him again. And, right. and he went out and finished second at Daytona. And, and then I was at the last race when he clinched it at uh-huh. uh, Pasadena Rose Bowl, um, uh, which is really cool, which was, ironically, the first time I ever got in the pits oh, yeah? at a, at yeah, a yeah. professional <laughs> race wow. that night. Um, my first time was 89 Miami. I was a kid, yeah. but we bought a pit pass family, bought a pit pass, 89 Miami got, uh, and, and, and new rollerball Peterson a little bit. You know, my dad did, um, yeah. just be, so said hi to rollerball. thought that was pretty cool. Jim Hawley was like the coolest dude in 89. Like just, you know, just like he is now. So, uh, kind of funny. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, if, uh, if RJ doesn't get hurt in 89, uh, Gainesville. Danny Storbeck lands on his wrist. Oh yeah. Uh, does does he keep winning? Does Stanton have a few less titles? Yeah, he RJ would have kept winning. You remember he won the first seven Supercrosses that yeah. year until um, he uh, fell at Atlanta, right? And uh, and uh, Stanton took the win, and then I think it was the next weekend he broke his had his wrist broken. It was. Yep. Yeah, RJ. I think RJ had another couple titles in him for sure, mm-hmm. and that's not to take anything away from Jeff Stanton because Jeff Stanton's probably in my top five riders of all time. Yeah. So. Um, you know, who knows? Who right. knows? I, I think RJ probably would have had more titles in him, but uh, and I'm and you know, I'm sad but, that he broke his wrist and and he didn't get him. Um, but in a way, but, you at, the say, same, yeah. but at the same time, I'm glad if that was the situation that 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 kid from Michigan, Jeff Stanton, stepped up and won those titles through pure hard work and uh, and. Uh, 
desire. And, you know, I know I've mentioned Johnny about 15 times in this interview, but Johnny to this day is like the biggest Jeff Stanton fan in the world oh, just yeah, because yeah. he just saw how hard and dedicated Jeff was, yeah. you know. I just did one of these with Johnny. O. I don't know if you saw it on the site maybe a month ago. Um, did one of these and said, uh, my last question to him was, uh, how often do you stay awake at night thinking of 89 Anaheim season opener? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was at that race. <laughs> and uh, he laughed and said he doesn't think of it, obviously. Johnny, Johnny's done a good job of, like, you know, letting it go and all that, obviously. Um, yeah, 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 he really he really doesn't like talking about the past. No, he, really he doesn't. doesn't. You know? No, he doesn't. But he was gone, right? Yeah. You were there. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it on TV only, but he was going to win. Oh, yeah. No, I, I remember. I, I, as a matter of fact, when he broke, it was on top of a jump that was directly below where I was sitting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he was still my guy. And I was like, oh, man, he had it <laughs> won for, you know, Suzuki was struggling. Then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I think he was only a few laps away, right? I think it was, uh, yes, four laps to go or five laps to go. But Yeah, um, yeah. And then the next weekend he did really good, too. I think he finished second at Seattle or something. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I was at that race. And, uh, like I said, you know, he still loves the sport and he's obviously super involved. But, you know, he don't really – he doesn't really like talking about the old days too much. And, yeah. Um, I don't bug but, him about it. But when you do talk to him about it, and I always do, uh, the interview was uh, 45 minutes. It was 30 minutes of, of modern stuff and, and 15 minutes of old stuff that I could tell I was dragging it out of him. But when you do talk to him, there's no ego. It's pretty modest. He tells it as it is. Always gives credit to other racers and teams. and You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. he, he's, uh, oh, yeah. he's a class he's act a con- that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's consummate professional. And... You know, the biggest thing to most important thing to him is is keeping his word and his reputation um, in the pits. And um, mm-hmm. he has a lot of dignity and a lot of, you know, right. when he makes uh, when he when he has a relationship with somebody, you know, mm-hmm. that relationship is is like glue. And um, you know, you know how it is in our sport, oh, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I'm guilty of it too. We all talk, you know. Uh, but of the people, all the people I know, the guy who says the least, uh, who like, I've never seen a guy be able to keep his, you know, keep his, yeah. his you know, loose lips sink ships uh-huh. as much as Johnny. I mean, that guy right. can keep a secret. <laughs> uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, the uh, it's cool in your job too. Damon Bradshaw, sponsored by Monster. Ricky Carmichael, yeah. still sponsored by Monster. MC Jeremy McGrath, still a Monster athlete. Um, pretty cool for you. You get to do do things with these guys uh, that they're still doing. They're still working on. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's awesome. It's even, awesome, man. Even it's, Dogger. Uh, I think Dogger's a monster guy too. Who's that? Dogger. Isn't Dogger? Doesn't Dogger? Oh have a yeah, yeah. Helmet? No, I helped put that one together. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogger. <laughs> no, I, oh man, Ron Lachine. Um, I just I, I just love that dude, and uh, I, I love that guy's personality and his take on things and. Well, you talk about a guy who still loves the sport, man. I know, right? And, he is a, he is a I remember, fan. Uh, I remember Mark Hall, who's our president. I'm like, oh, Mark, just check out this picture of Ron Lachine. He's just running our helmet because he thinks he's cool. You know, <laughs> he thinks it's cool. Right. And Mark was like, all right, set him up. Paint right. a helmet up for him, you know? Right. Get him on the program. Uh, so that was kind of a cool, charming little story for me. Yeah. And, uh, he is a fan. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he texts uh, me, emails me, uh, what's going on? What, yeah, he's a fan. He follows me. Well, he is. He is. You know, I, you know, I'll see him at the Supercross races. He doesn't even want to talk. He just wants, he just wants to walk, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
uh, I, I love that. Um, you know, I love seeing seeing those guys. And Ronnie was another one of those guys. I still, you know, I can't believe he's now become a good friend. You know, like mm-hmm. we, my little brother and I were so in awe of him. I remember. Here's another. I'm gonna tell you another story. Here I go again. Go again. Horace in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother and I drive there. And we knew about Ron on the 224 Yamaha. Remember that with yeah, the bitch yeah. and white JT gear. Yeah. Second moto. Uh, there's a big pile up in the first turn. Barnett goes down, who was just an animal back then. Yeah. Uh, back, he's like dead last. Ron's out front and he's pulling away. You know, my brother and I are just in awe. He's just like a superhero to us. You know, he's from right. California. He's 16. He's on the coolest looking bike and coolest gear I've ever seen to this day. And uh, and he's just like he's pulling away and like at the two thirds mark the rain's starting to come down and and Bradshaw or uh, Barnett's just picking guys off and it comes down to two laps and Barnett gets right up on him and then mm-hmm. passes him and my, I remember my brother just took a, this styrofoam cooler we had and just kicked it into like a hundred <laughs> pieces you know we wanted the dogger to win so bad oh, and funny. then I to this to this this gonna sound this gonna kind of kind of sound corny too but that just might have been like one of the coolest moments of just being a fan of my life watching that dude that day yeah. i mean he just he just epitomized cool man i mean his gear his style he says the favorite style of any rider i've ever seen except uh, maybe Stefan Everts. I might yeah. have to put my buddy above him, but uh, uh, he was just, he was just magic, man. Yeah, he was. He really was. And uh, man, he never sat down too much. Like he he always told me when he sat down, and then to stand back up, like it's it's tiring for him. So it's better to just, <laughs> better to just stand all the way. He told me one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a he's a great guy, man. Eric Johnson, thank you for doing the uh, BTOSports.com Racer X podcast presented by Thor MX. Uh, appreciate it, man. I feel like we can go another hour, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I really, uh, I really uh, appreciate you letting me do it, Steve. And I, I hope I don't, you know, hope I didn't come off like, like, you know, too much of a oh, know-it-all or, or whatever. I, you know, I just, you know, I just love the sport. I just love thinking back at the stories and feel so fortunate, so fortunate to be able to be a part of it. And I guess one last thing I'd like to say, you know, of all these heroes that I've met. Mm-hmm. Not one of them has ever let me down. You know, you hear that right. adage, uh, you know, no, you never want to meet your heroes. Yeah, yeah. Well, every one of my heroes that I've met has been an A-plus person to me, and I guess that just says how great our sport is. And uh, I'm stoked to sit here and talk to you about it, man. Yeah, and, that's uh, cool. Awesome, awesome, well, Steve. Anytime you want to talk, man, yeah. uh, thanks, thanks again for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, tell Hanny I said hi. By the way, oh um. uh, yeah, Hanny, yeah, um. there's a, there's another, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, man, yeah, uh, we're still trying to figure out what's going on there, um, but uh, I think but, you'll be okay. Um, I, I know you've, I know you've had some wrestling matches with them, but. Uh, I, I, I'd rather see that work out, you know. I'd rather uh, see, you guys need to be buddies. So you, you try. You put the olive branch out there, EJ, and it didn't didn't quite get received. So I appreciate it. Um, Tedesco's though. Ivan Tedesco looks to be a, a monster guy again for next year. Yeah, 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 that's the word. I just found out about that yesterday. That's you cool. know, another just just a plus guy, and uh, it's great to still have him in the sport, and it's great to have an M claw on him, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Ivan's uh, Ivan's just uh, another A-plus guy, man. Great. Well, hey, EJ, thank you, man. Uh, we'll be in touch, I'm sure, and always a good time. we got to do more of these, and uh, 
yeah, we've just scratched the surface. Uh, always entertaining, and keep up those articles, man. They're awesome, and uh, thanks again. Yeah, you too, Steve. You're doing great work, man. It's cool to see you hustling and turning in all this cool stuff. I, I really enjoy your take on the sport. I like how you, uh, you know, you don't really pull any punches. I'm sure you get a, bit, a little bit of grief for that, oh, but, uh, I do. I do. Uh, it, it, you know, it's cool to read. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. See you, EJ. All right, buddy. Later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200-episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.